Hey, I'm Drew, and you're listening to the Citizen Coder Podcast. In this extra-long episode, I interview Byron Salty, VP of Video and Devices at Warner Media. We talk about Elixir, Dockyard Academy, mentorship, skill development, we record a part two, and so much more. Let's dive in. Hey, so why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself real quick? Sure. Uh, hey, this is Byron. Um, you can find me everywhere, Byron Salty on uh, you know Twitter and, and uh, Medium and all those kind of places. But so uh, Byron Salty here. I you you've caught me at a really interesting time, Drew, because uh, I'm about <laughs> to have a pivot in my career, and um, I just next week will be um, leaving uh, the company that I know as Turner Broadcasting, and you may um, have heard of it as uh, Warner Brothers Discovery after 22 years. So I started there in college and um, now I'm about to embark on new things for me, but it was, it was a really awesome place. I really loved a lot of things about it. Um, you know, Turner Broadcasting, if you're not familiar, is sort of the home of um, CNN and Cartoon Network mm. and TBS and TNT and, and a lot of household names, which is really cool. Yeah. And um, we got to work with a bunch of large sporting brands as well, like uh, the NBA and NASCAR and March Madness, PGA. So gotten a chance to work with a lot of really cool um, things over the years. And... Um, a lot of different areas as well because i started in content management as a as a coder and moved into um, e-commerce and that's when i made a move into management and then um, like big data analytics and Mm -hmm. uh, most recently i've been running a department around video playback and um you know, doing things with like iOS, Android, Roku and and all that, but that was more in a leadership capacity. So I Mm -hmm. haven't, um, you know, had hands on keyboards professionally in a while other than, um, you know, PowerPoint, but, uh, that I, um, I do, I, I, you know, I really like technology. That's, that's where, um, I came from. That's what I like to do, you know, for fun in a way. So I, I still code all the time. That's that's awesome. What uh, what languages and tech do you like to play with? I know, like, kind of you know where we've been playing, but you know, prior to that, what have you been playing with? Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, you know, I know that uh, you're you're making reference to you and I are connected uh, on a endeavor to learn Elixir, which is mm-hmm. a pretty cool place. But, yeah. you know, I got on this path and I, I wanted to just start out with some positivity for you that, um, you know, I've been listening to the podcast. I'm really honored that you asked for me to be on. And I, I listened to the last couple of um, episodes that you had and, and the people that you have on here have, have been so amazing. I hope I can live up to that, but, um, really good content. I, I really like your style of just oh, kind awesome. of talking to people and, um, you know, being humble in a way and being vulnerable and, you know, just like, Hey, I don't, I don't know what that is. Why don't you tell me about that? And, you know, vice versa. And, and 
um, I, I just have really enjoyed what I've experienced so far. So I'm really glad to be here and be a part of this. Yeah, I really, I really appreciate that. Uh, that's, you know, one thing I, I definitely just, I'll just like to have conversations and learn stuff and I've learned a ton of, of stuff and it's actually kind of, uh, if, if I hadn't started this podcast, I wouldn't have, well, I wouldn't have run into the Elixir bootcamp that we're currently going through and, uh, you know, and hopefully, uh, a, a job route for me because I haven't really had much in the way of a steady career. I've kind of been all over the place, mostly due to family and, you know, just circumstances and things of that nature, but I hadn't fallen into something that I really enjoyed. And, um, you know, it's, it's funny listening to people that have had long-term careers and, you know, ones that like, I don't know. You rarely find one people that have really enjoyed their careers. Like you sound like you've, you've, I mean, you've had your hands in all kinds of pies and it's probably been a lot of fun, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one thing you know, I've been meeting with a lot of different, um, you know, I was talking about the, the company name because there's been a lot of mergers and acquisitions mm -hmm. recently and, yeah. you know, been in, in a lot of, meeting rooms with different people that are introducing themselves and where they come from. And, and it's usually a shock to people who are interacting with former Turner broadcast employees that are like, you know, I was there for 22 years. My boss before that was for over 30. And, wow. you know, most of the people I interacted with were, you know, 15 plus. So mm -hmm. is a lot of people that were, you know, really enjoyed the space. Um, but so I, I think maybe there's a bit of an anomaly around um, that particular company. Mm -hmm. But um, I wonder if, if your experience here, your, you know, was around technical jobs. And I think people in, in our space tend to enjoy what they're doing. We're solving cool problems and getting to learn and, mm -hmm. and, and have a lot of flexibility. So I, I think that makes our industry really interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and that and that's one thing that up until so and when I lived in in North Carolina, I ran a computer. Yeah, I can't even talk right now. <laughs> I ran a computer repair company, and uh, just you know, small scale. I had I had some clients, and then I had a couple of call centers that I dealt with, and I really enjoyed that a lot. You know, mostly you know meeting a lot of people and just dealing with hardware and and operating systems and that thing and and that really i guess was what kind of kept me going in tech because if i hadn't have dabbled in hardware i probably wouldn't have even considered programming hmm. my my brother micah is a is a programmer i don't i don't think he listens to this um but, <laughs> um he well I, th I don't know that he programs so much anymore he's kind of moved like kind of like you kind of moved into management and mm -hmm. but he's uh, he started off uh with a with a pretty small company and just kind of worked his way up and when i was had reached a point where you know i had a kid and had a lot of family stuff going on i decided to investigate programming as a way to possibly make you know make more money 
and maybe do something that I actually enjoyed. But I was terrified of code because mm. it, I thought that programming was shit tons of math and I didn't think that. So, uh, I, I didn't get a high school diploma. I got a GED when I was 30 and math has never been my strong suit. So on the GED, it required, uh, I think a passing grade of 400 in any subject. And I got college level, everything except math. And I literally got 400. (laughs) It was weird, but that's, I got the exact number I needed to pass the math. And so I've always kind of avoided math like the plague. I think that's the exact thing that happens. I, I think that's that that's what um that's the the situation that makes people feel like they're not good at math is is um I know that I'm gonna use a math example in order to explain this, yeah. but it's a little <laughs> bit like um compounding interest. Uh-huh. Right. Um where let's say in kindergarten, you know, you're trying to do math and you're you know, ninety percent understood. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on average is a hundred, you know, someone understands a hundred and maybe there's some people that understand a little bit better or whatever. Well, that 90% and then the next grade, you understand, you know, you know, another 90% of that, but that puts you at like 81%. Mm-hmm. So every time you're falling behind a little bit more and more until the time you get to high school and it's like, I'm bad at math. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that that's, that's the case. In fact, my wife falls into that category and she's never liked math and this and that and mm-hmm. she's doing um she's she's about to start her phd and and <laughs> and literally talking to me about statistics oh, because wow. you know she's realized that hey she's not bad at math it was just there are some fundamental things that she didn't understand right and um you know she had to go back and and sort of re- relearn them because you know, they don't really have enough time or or whatnot um in i think standard curriculum like you're gonna spend a a week on this and you're gonna spend a week on that and if you didn't get it all too bad we're moving forward to the next the next thing right 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 um i i definitely yeah i I think it creates this problem yeah i i definitely see what you're saying because i think that you know and maybe i was just slower to learn in that area and and like you said they just kind of move on in in classes and things and you don't mm-hmm. you know if you don't if you don't grasp it it's whatever you just you just go you just move on move on to the next subject or you know the next grade level and yeah that probably creates a a sort of stigma or a feeling of okay I maybe I'm just not good at this or maybe you know I, I can't learn this. Yeah. And it's, and then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way, mm-hmm. right. Or, mm-hmm. a, you know, confirmation bias, mm-hmm. like you're not good at it. So then you don't pay any attention. So then of course you're not going to be good at it going forward either. Yeah. Um, you know, I, <clears throat> so listening to the, the, the last episode, uh, it was interesting because I had the exact same origin story with coding that, uh, Chris had talked about with, mm wanting to create video games yeah. with, and you mentioned his sister and I was the same boat. Like I didn't have 
enough money to, to buy my own video games. I was like, well, what if I could make them? And I had a, um, uh, like a hand-me-down Commodore 64. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I had the same thing that he mentioned, like the back of the magazine had, you know, type these codes in, then you can get a game to work. Mm -hmm. and, and so that was my first introduction into, oh, wait, what is this? How, how do I, uh, you know, code and create something? And I never actually got far enough into making my own game, but that's, that's where the interest started. Mm. And, um, you know, a little bit full circle was when my son started getting interested in computers. Um, there's a, a program out there you may have heard of called Scratch. Oh, yeah. I'm familiar with that. And yeah, yeah. So it was created, I think, by MIT, but it was created in order to really introduce coding concepts to um, kids. Yes. And he was able to make games you know you put a sprite on you hit the you know this arrow and it moves to the left and um really but you know learn things like functions and loops and you know conditions conditionals and things like that that uh, you know allowed him to do some pretty interesting things with um even in that limited environment yeah how uh, how old are you you just have the one kid or i'm sorry did you have more so I, I, I now have seven kids oh, okay. and, uh, That's... the one I'm talking about, he's, he's now in computer science at, um, in college. Okay. He's 18. Um, so that comes as no oldest... shock to me, by the way. Um, I'm actually number four of seven. My, oh. my brother Craig had seven daughters and my brother Micah had seven kids also. He had a mix of boys and girls. My parents had seven boys, all boys. I don't know if they just kept trying for a girl and failed, and then my brother Craig kept trying for a boy and failed. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is, so there's a lot of sevens. Yeah. It's like uh, lucky numbers. Pretty nuts. Um, but yeah. So, that, so my um, awesome. oldest is 23, and okay. he, he completed a boot camp. Oh, cool. And so one of the things that I'm um, – doing now is is I, i've been meeting with people i just put something on twitter that said hey if anyone wants to talk uh you know have some mentoring or chat or whatever mm -hmm. hit me up yeah. and you know i've had the opportunity to talk to i haven't counted recently but you know probably close to 100 people and mm. like 20 different countries i mean people from all over the world and it's oh, wow something i feel like i have a calling to do yeah. so it's been really exciting but one of the reasons i did it was because you know as as my son was um leaving boot camp i was hey well you know do you want to do a, a mock interview do you want to talk to some people because because i know a bunch of people right so i was able to yeah connect him i didn't like you know get him a job or something that would sure. be like um nepotism no, but i i did have was, was <laughs> able to give him access to to people that someone else in his like cohort wouldn't have right yeah yeah and i was thinking well that's not fair so that's that that was really the the first inspiration for let me reach out to to other people that don't have a you know someone like me in their life mm -hmm. and say hey if you want if you want to talk you want me to look at your resume you want to just, yeah. you know pick my brain we, Hit me up. we look at my resume. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs>
Um, I mean, uh, sure literally yesterday I talked to someone and she sent me her resume. And uh, so I, I've got to get her some feedback. But that's cool. Uh, interestingly, I sent her the link to your podcast saying you should check this out. So. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, you can make her listen hmm. to uh, the episode five. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought Brooklyn's, um, you know, feedback around finding your first job it was was really good stuff. So yeah, I did too. I thought it was really spot on, and um, and you know, I had, I had my, uh, who was it? It was my, you know, I was at my mother in law's house, and her boyfriend, he's he was uh, kind of big into, uh, I don't know how big he was, but. He did a lot of uh, audio and video editing movies and that kind of thing. And uh, he asked about my, my podcast. And I, so I told, was telling him a little bit about it. And he, he saw that my, my, when I've posted them on Twitter, they're like an hour and a half long. And he's like, mm -hmm. have you looked at, had the listens on that to see, you know, if I'm like, no, I haven't really, you know, because I don't really care. You know, it's, mm. <laughs> um, I'm I'm not worried about how many people or you know whether they listen to the whole thing or not. You know, if somebody gets something out of out of one of my podcasts, then great. You know, if not, I got a lot out of my podcast. And you know, I, I'm there's going to be you know there's 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 always going to be some negativity from somewhere, no no matter what you do. So you know, as far as I and I feel like. Sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, as far as I can see, the the only thing I'm just going to do is keep doing my thing. And, you know, if I'm if I'm enjoying it and having fun and maybe somebody else, you know, uh, likes likes what I'm doing, then, you know, it doesn't matter if if I have 50,000 listeners or I have one. Yeah, I, and I, that's what I was going to say is that the I feel like the best content is created from that place from the place of, you know, I, I want to, I, I just want to create something or I want to, um, you know, achieve something for myself, mm -hmm. not necessarily for like, you know, financial gain. And some, right. some of the people I've talked to said, what do you get out of this? Cause I'm, I'm not charging anybody. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and, and it's like, well, I'm just doing it cause it feels like it's the right thing to do. Sure. Um, you know, over, over time, I, I am getting something out of it. You know, obviously I'm learning from them as, you know, as yeah. they're learning from me, but, but also, um, what I find is some patterns start emerging and questions and, and how I would, you know, how I'm answering them. It's like, well, why don't I you know turn this into an article mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and write something about it? So uh, that's where most of my, um, things that I've written about have come from is either yeah. conversations with, people um that i'm mentoring or people like at work that i'm you know i'm having one-on-ones with people and, and mentioning things like dog fooding and they're like i don't know what that is i'm like okay well let me explain <laughs> it and it's like instead of explaining it a dozen times let me maybe write something about it and then um help from from that standpoint okay well now you got to explain what dog fooding is sure <laughs> um and if you haven't read the book, um, uh, Pragmatic Programmer, yeah, throw that out there. I would highly recommend it. It's um, I used to give it to everyone that joined my teams, um, and you know I've 
consistently had really awesome people on my team. So maybe there's a correlation there. I'm gonna but um, one of the yeah, definitely check it out. Um, and they just released an updated version um, in the last couple of years. It's uh, like the 25th anniversary. Interestingly, okay. one of the writers of it is a big Elixir proponent. Oh, so very nice. Is that that's awesome. Um, so one of the concepts they talk about is called dog fooding, and I believe it comes from, um, something that one that like the CEO or someone of, um, like Alpo actual dog food oh. talked about is like, he was going to eat, eat his own dog food. Cause it was, you know, to show like he was going to use it himself or test it himself before just like giving it to a dog and mm. never actually having it. Interesting. And <laughs> It's funny because you can use a product, like let's say you're using, you know, a time tracking software or something like that. Yeah. And if it's like really clunky and, you know, it takes you five clicks to, you know, add some, you know, your, your time in and then hit submit or whatever, mm-hmm. I guarantee you that um, the, the coders that were actually building the thing did not use it themselves. So that when you sense. use it yourself, you're like, oh, you know what? This button is a little bit weird or why it would be better if I could do this thing. And you just, you just evolve it in a way that um, makes for a better product. So when, when one of the things I built at Turner was a system that um, gave us visibility into, you know, where issues were happening with like video playback. And we were the number one users of that product. So when like CNN called and said, is, you know, is there a problem? Um, mm-hmm. You know, my team was, was pulling up these dashboards and giving some visibility. And so then when we handed it off to others to use, we knew it worked really well because it, we weren't building it from a spec and someone saying, hey, why don't we add this feature and add this feature? We were building it from us using it and saying, mm-hmm. oh, you know what? This would be really cool. This would be helpful. So, um, you know, dog fooding is using your product yourself. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense though. Um, that's one of the things, I don't know if you're familiar with Basecamp at all. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it I started a uh, rails. Yeah. So I believe that that kind of started as them building something for themselves and then realizing it would make, you know, that other people wanted to try it. And so they put it out there and that's kind of, kind of where that came from. It was an internal tool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's kind of a, a double whammy, right? Because they built Rails to build Basecamp mm-hmm. to track their yeah. <laughs> track their thing. So they made two products out of one uh, endeavor. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Rails is Rails is pretty awesome. I was using or learning that before. That's probably the last thing I was learning, honestly, before I switched to Elixir. I was going through. Uh, are you familiar with Learn Enough? No. Okay, so Michael Hartle wrote a book called The Rails Tutorial. And uh-huh. that is probably the best learning Rails material out there, in my personal opinion, of course. Um, Rails is similar to Elixir in that there's not a whole lot of really good learning material out there. It's that that is geared toward beginners so Mm. um yeah so the he started writing a book called um 
the Rails Rails tutorial, and then that kind of expanded, and eventually turned into a platform called Learn Enough. And learn enough to be dangerous is the you know <laughs> uh, the thing. Mm -hmm. So so he's got a a, a series of, of things on there that take that takes you through learning Git and JavaScript and Ruby and then Rails and a couple other things I think. And I was doing the Rails tutorial, and that I think that's kind of around the time I bumped into elixir for the first time it was last year sometime and i liked the look of it and i liked the idea that it was different than object oriented but the book that i had picked up which is probably a really good book if you already have been programming for a bunch of years and you know would would help somebody like that switch to something or switch to elixir pretty easy but for me it was pretty hard to understand and so i just kind of put it down for a while until i interviewed brooke uh well actually until i yeah. i ran into his podcast i was just bored one night and decided to just kind of look for a podcast and i figured well i'll see if i can find a good elixir one and i ran into his uh elixir newbie podcast which is pretty good if you haven't listened to that that's that's worth a listen but um yeah, it's on my list. I want to check him out. I mean, I, I definitely was listening to him on your podcast and felt like, man, this guy's a kindred spirit in terms of, um, <clears throat> you know, an interest in helping others mm -hmm. learn and you know, talking about a lot of the same um, concepts and, and questions that people ask me as they're around, you know, getting their first job and what should I focus on and mm -hmm and uh, all of those kind of things. So uh, definitely it's on my list to check out. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, that's kind of the, the struggle um, is figuring out where to where to start or, you know, kind of what, the, what they should go with, that kind of thing. I, you know, I struggled with it. I started off with a, a Udemy course on, I mean, pretty much the same thing everybody else does, you know, full stack. <laughs> uh -huh. and uh javascript and i didn't gel too well i just had a horrible time trying to understand it the thing that i really have liked about this um elixir boot camp mm -hmm. is that well the thing that i don't like about the other ones that i've seen is they start with like html and css mm -hmm. which I, I, I kind of get why you want to do that. Well, first of all, most of them are, are specifically talking about web development. Yeah. Uh, so therefore that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And, but, and it also, it makes sense from a, I, I want to give you something that you can immediately use to create something like today mm -hmm. that you can show your friends and give you that um, little bit of a, you know, uh, motivation boost. Yeah. 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 But the thing that I think, think is a little bit surprising to people who don't really know technology and they're going through this and they start learning JavaScript and they're, they're confused mm -hmm. is like JavaScript is like the it, like general purpose programming. And I don't want to say real programming and like sound like I'm putting people down because I, I, yeah. I'm not. I mean, anyone that can do CSS does more than me because I, I really um, haven't spent any time there. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm sure you're more adept than I am there. But um, the, the the concepts that you learn when you're learning JavaScript and, and you know, in the same with this Elixir class, like data types um, and, you know, functions and, and how you organize code and how you do um, conditions and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I mean, those are universal in programming. Yeah. Right? Things like, you know, CSS and divs and those kind of things are, are very specific to one specific, um, you know, industry and one specific use case. But right. the things that you will learn around JavaScript will be applicable if, you know, if you went and started doing iOS development or started you know, whatever, doing, doing backend development, all of those concepts are the same. And so I kind of like that this is a boot camp that is not so web dev focused. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. I um, think it'll be a lot more useful. Yeah. I, I like that it's very heavy on the programming part with the exercises. And I think that's more important than at least early on than building a project. I think you have to have both. You have to have lots mm-hmm. and lots of exercises in the beginning to solidify concepts and help you think programmatically. I probably butchered that, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, and then, and then of course, you know, moving on to, to actually building something with what you've learned, but most, most courses are very, project heavy and a lot of it just turns into code along and yeah no offense to anybody that teaches code along i think there's a place for it but if you haven't thoroughly taught somebody how to program them typing along to whatever you know whatever you're doing on screen isn't going to teach them to build projects on their own in my opinion. No, and, 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 uh, you know, I've learned that, you know, teaching is just such a skill too, and mm-hmm. it's something that I want to work on and, and do better at. Um, um, I'm, can do a lot of coding things, but explaining how my brain works around this stuff, like the other day we were pair programming, right? Mm-hmm. And I was trying to explain, someone was asking questions, and I'm like, I don't know how to explain why I did it this way. <laughs> So, um, you know, people that are, you know, teaching others and, and have that real skill there yeah. are, are really, um, really valuable, really precious if, if you have, um, if you can do it well. Yeah. I think there's a... There's... One thing that I... No, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say one thing that I think about with, uh, you know, you were talking about project-based work mm-hmm. and um, I, I think there's a a bit of a misconception at times too around like what makes a senior developer versus a junior developer. It's not, you know, you, you hear, well, I've had five years experience or 10 years experience or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? That doesn't mean, Oh, now, you know, every, um, function in the, uh, in the standard lib for Python or, or Java or script or whatever. Right. Right. Oftentimes I think what that means is, you have real experience in the industry that you're talking about. 
And I don't know that I've heard any people talking about it this way, but one thing I, I kind of highlight to people is, look, if you come to interview on my team, well, my team for the next week, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> it is, you know, we'll ask you, sure, sure, we'll ask you to do some sort of like um, technical assessment. We want to make sure that we think that you know how to code. Right. But our job is around video. So I'm going to ask you, have you ever seen HLS before? What do you know about ad tech? Do you know what SSAI is? Do you know, you know, like mm-hmm. these industry specific terms and, you know, uh, problems and you know, protocols or whatever that if I'm hiring a senior, I'm kind of hoping that I find somebody that has that industry information, right? Right, right. And so one thing I think people don't, get the right advice on or, or don't really think about is, you know, if, if you have an idea of what you want to do and a lot of people don't Mm -hmm. really, they just kind of want to get into tech. Yeah. But if you had an idea of what you want to do, I want to be in, you know, game development. I want to be, I want to do machine learning. I want to do video. I want to do, um, CMS. I want to, um, do ad tech or, or security. Well, go build your product, your, your project with something in that field because then what will happen is when you go apply to a job in the field that you want to be in and they say do you know what hls is you'll say yeah i you know i i didn't use it professionally or whatever but i i built this thing and you know i had to use ffmpeg to encode mp4 and turn it into hls or or whatever right so you've touched a, a couple of things, even if, you know, I'm not saying that people should over, um, you know, sell what they, their experience level, but yeah. the fact that you've heard of some of these terms will give you a, a edge when you're trying to interview into those, some of those roles. Sure. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, it's sort of like tailing your resume to match whatever job you're applying for, which I'm mm-hmm. terrible at, by yeah. the way. <laughs> yeah, I uh I I think there is some diminishing returns on that. Like um mm-hmm. my wife was looking at a bunch of different jobs and like constantly tweaking the resume and I'm like you know, I I don't know that that's going to move the meter enough, yeah. you know, if you know, it's a 1%, you know, 2% improvement. It's not like a um doubling the efficacy of my resume by tweaking some words. Yeah, no, that's 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 good that you mentioned that because that's one thing I've I've never really fully understood is you know changing the resume that you know the most of the jobs that I've had I think I may have gotten them because I'm okay at interviewing mostly because I talk to a lot of people mm. but I mean I always look at my resume and I'm like God oh, this is dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I do understand the idea of like, if you're applying, you know, for a role that's data heavy, maybe you want to highlight the things that you've done yeah, data wise. Sure. Um, and, and if you're doing the thing that's, you know, also, but I, I think in order to really do that, you have to have a very big resume where, okay, I've done things for 25 years, which projects am I going to highlight here? But if you uh-huh. don't have a ton of depth anyway, then, um, I don't know. You're going to like pick and choose the things that you want to highlight is going to make a huge difference. Right. Right. 
I've been working for 20 uh, plus years, but I don't have any depth in a career. <laughs> uh, the Well, yeah, just from hearing you before, I know that you bounce around a bunch of different mm -hmm. roles. So, yeah, definitely. Um, that's one thing I really actually like when I'm talking to a lot of the people I've talked to in boot camps mm -hmm. um, have com are coming from really interesting backgrounds. You know, people that are, you know, they're, they're former, you know, therapists and they want to do something different or, you know, they work with disabled people. And I'm like, you could build something that's so cool, so much different than my experience. Right. Cause yeah. I'm like a, classically trained i guess you would say like i went to college right out of high school for computer science mm -hmm. like computer science all the way right yeah so therefore i don't have any depth in other areas i don't have you know right. other than the things that i've worked on through my job i don't i don't have like um you know some people that were formerly in healthcare and now they want to be coders i'm like you can create some really cool projects because you can bring that, uh, you know, mm -hmm. understanding of a different industry and a different world and what problems exist there. Like I'm, I'm one of my buddies is um, in a band. He wants to create some, um, you know, projects around the um, tooling to support the needs that they actually have and not yeah. like, you know, oh, this is what a band wants. It's like, no, he knows exactly because he's, you know, trying to reach out to his fan base, you mm -hmm. know, so he, he knows the problems that he's trying to solve. So he can create something that is really uh, effective. Again, this is points back to dog fooding, right? Right. Like if you're the one that you're building for yourself, you're going to make something really good. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, speaking of, of products that you build for yourself, um, I've had this idea for a while. I just, I, I started building it a bit in Android and I've I've put it on hold, especially while I work to this this Elixir boot camp because I think it's going to wind up in Elixir. <laughs> but <laughs> as probably you know, most of my projects will from here on out. Um, it's a it's a reminder app because I have a habit of signing up for free trials of stuff and then forgetting, and then I get charged. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's a problem. Yeah, that that's, that's an issue. Um, or, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll fire up a, a month of Netflix to binge whatever, you know, Cobra Kai or something. And then again, right. I'll forget to cancel it and I get charged for a second month and, you know, they don't have that much interesting stuff on there anymore. So, uh, so I want to build an app that, that can, uh, ping my phone when, you know, I've got, uh, I've got a subscription or a free trial about to about to charge me <laughs> um maybe eventually and i think those are like really cool projects personally like i i have so one of the things i want to do mm -hmm. um after you know i don't have a, a day job anymore yeah. is build some of these things that have been bouncing around in my head for for a while mm -hmm. and like one and, and usually they're this is kind of like a functional programming way to think about things they're very they're small apps that do one thing mm. you know mm -hmm. and i don't need to build a um a monolithic like yeah uh, you know uh, you know giant project is like i think it would be fun to build something that does one thing really well and um you know people can use it if they want like an example is like over um 
Fourth of July weekend, I, I built this thing that for me, I wanted to track um, the countries of people that I've talked to. Oh, and, cool. You know, you just go in and say, you know, this country, this country, this country, and it creates an image of a map that has all the of the uh, countries highlighted. Oh, that's really neat. And you could use it for o- other reasons, like, hey, where have I visited or, sure. you know, or whatever, you know, like. Um, so I, I'm not injecting what it means to you. All I'm saying is give me your list of countries and I will give you a, a map that has all of them highlighted. You know, it's just something pretty simple, but, um, you know, it's also something you could like build in a weekend. So it was, right. it was pretty fun. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I would probably use something like that. Uh, it'd be kind of neat to see. Cause I mean, you know, I, I try to talk to people from all over the place. I don't care where they're located. Um, it's been, mm-hmm. it's been mostly U S and UK and then, uh, um, Africa, but you know, so far that that's been it, but, oh no, Italy too. Um, so yeah, that, that would be kind of a, a neat little project. Yeah. I just think it's like, but those kind of things, like, who knows, maybe that'll be a cool thing that gets some traction or whatever. And it doesn't have to, I mean, when we talked about Basecamp, I mean, initially Basecamp wasn't super deep, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, no. to them, it was a, a side project that they were doing to, to build yeah, they needed, uh, other more complex problems. Yeah, yeah. I think they needed it for, they were using it internally for something. Just uh, And then they were just kind of building onto it as they needed features. So it wasn't even a, it was maybe like one or two features when it started. And then... um. I don't know how many it's got now. It's 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 a decent sized um platform. I've used it. They have a free a free thing. I think you can have like three three projects on there free. And uh mm. you know, it's it's really just project management software. Yeah, that's what it is. I mean, I, I haven't used it in probably 10 years, but I mean, it was simple and easy to use and I I love both of those things. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So what, um, what are your, okay. So, uh, I joined the bootcamp, um, the Elixir bootcamp, and then I guess you listened to my podcast and decided to give it a shot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I I was listening and I felt kind of kindred, like both you and Brooklyn. I was like, this is pretty cool. Um, and then I was thinking, well, you know, I'm going to have some time on my hand so why not just try to learn something new so it's been really cool just to get on and um talk to people and and i I don't have a ton of time yet because Mm -hmm. i'm I'm still working but um here um you know the couple of times i've been able to get on just um i just really love the community of around um tech where people are learning and helping each other and kind yeah. um generally uh, you know they're just like people are all coming from different areas and um with different backgrounds different experience levels and but i, I don't generally see a lot of ego mm-hmm. uh, I, I really like that yeah i actually i find that kind of refreshing you know it's it's great to be able to just ask questions and not be judged for what you don't know. Uh, 
it sounds like a that's a stack overflow problem oh. <laughs> but yeah it it's it's really great um i've i've thoroughly enjoyed it uh, you know so much so that i decided to pretty much dedicate my entire free time for the whole the whole boot camp and you know mostly uh, my my job situation being what it is you know it i wouldn't call it particularly stable at this point the which is weird because it it kind of was before or you know during <laughs> during uh corona but uh i don't know mm -hmm. if if companies are just aren't buying the medical equipment that they were or what um things at work have been really, really slow. You know, a lot of people are taking uh, unpaid days off and uh, it just, I, it, it kind of came at the right time because I'm, I'm suddenly finding myself with a lot more free time. And I, I think I, you know, it's probably time for me to make a pivot. <laughs> um, hopefully it's not another. Well, I really like what, what, what Brooklyn said in the on the, your uh, last show about um, you know a lot of people are are pushing for JavaScript, React, mm -hmm. and uh, and it's true that there's a lot of jobs there. Yeah. But you have to also look at what are the number of people applying to those jobs. Yeah. Uh, and what what is the size of the workforce behind it? Um, even if it's the most popular thing, if it's also the most flooded area, right? That's a problem. Um, and I can tell you, last year I hired ten people. Mm -hmm. Um, three of them were, um, more junior level roles. Yeah. And um, and we could talk a little bit about sort of the problems of. You know, what I see with with junior level roles and and why it's so hard to get those sometimes mm -hmm. just from like the incentive structure, but yeah. um, the number of people that applied to those junior roles was like two hundred plus. Wow, the number of people that applied to the other seven you know more senior roles and management roles was like five, mm. and most of them not qualified you know, you know for those things so um you know the junior level it wasn't just the junior level it was also that they were you know javascript heavy mm -hmm. and you know more in the sort of web dev um stack right. but that just tells me that that i mean there's a lot of people in that space looking for those roles yeah um i can tell you right now if you had like roku write script that's the language behind roku on oh. your resume like i the conversation I generally have with with um, recruiters is, hey, you know, we we don't have anything open right now, but if you see anyone's resume that has Roku, let me know because I'll like create a role for that <laughs> because it's so rare. And Roku is one of the most popular ways to consume digital video. It, I mean, it really and is probably number one. Our our TV is a Roku TV, uh, TCL Roku uh -huh. TV, and. Yeah, it gets it gets a lot of use. Uh, you know, I've got a Roku plugged into my my small TV out here in the living room, and yeah, it they're they're great devices. I didn't realize that they use their own lang programming language, though. That's kind of neat. Yeah, I mean that that's sort of the the weird catch twenty two is everyone has um, a horror story in the in the business around Roku 
because they're they're a very like a uh, proprietary ecosystem mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and so it's kind of difficult to get things done and find people and that, that kind of thing yeah but on the other hand maybe because it's so locked down or or, or i'm not sure why they're they're winning maybe it's just cost mm-hmm. but um yeah. you know the, the numbers are just you know through the roof right. um in terms of consumption is that that kind of reminds at least, me of, at least in the u.s that that kind of reminds me of uh sitecore a little bit what the the cms that chris from the last episode uses it's it's super locked down you know you can't learn it unless a company is like here learn this it's 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 really weird there's no training platforms for it at all i've done you know a little digging trying to find <clears throat> find stuff just out of curiosity and there's there's like nothing there's no way to learn it you pretty much like maybe if you have wordpress or some other cms experience that would help um but there's nothing there's no site core there's no way to learn it unless you're at a job that uses it and they're like here we need you to learn this or you know or maybe there's an internal job that you apply for and and uh you know they're going to teach it to you uh it's it's yeah that's what's so counterintuitive it's like how are they winning when um when it seems like they're following not best practices, but mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it, that was one thing I was thinking when I was listening to that episode too, was that was sort of how I started my journey was I was first building CMSs with a much older system, but it was a proprietary system that no one's ever heard of. And, hmm. you know, I had to go to like a training, um, you know, to, to learn how to do it. And it wasn't like, now where there's most things yeah there's there's tons of getting started and and you know free documentation because that seems to be the the best that that makes sense if you want people to use your stuff you kind of yeah you would follow a freemium model right right at least for developers yeah you would think they they would provide some way to get training outside of a company that used the product so that they could you know have more developers using the products <laughs> to work on their stuff. Um, it it's definitely definitely seems counterintuitive to to just kind of hide it all and not let anybody have any kind of access to it. Have you? Yeah, maybe it's a, a control, a quality control kind of a thing. So, yeah, I, I guess that I guess that would make some sense. I don't know. Um, so do you have a lot of Roku, or have you seen a lot of Roku, I guess, rather, um, have you worked with Roku a lot in your in your business? Yeah, I mean, um, we, again, it's a top platform, um, and, you know, all of our brands, um, CNN, TBS, TNT, Cartoon, Adult Swim, March Madness, they all have Roku apps. Oh, gotcha. um, It's generally a a primary concern. And and sometimes there's what happens is when you look at the full viewership Mm -hmm. across um, all the different devices, there's things that are not winning, like 
Chromecast or something that might have one or two percent of the the audience. Yeah, but um, that you may want to, you know, you have to make a business decision of do we want to continue to support some of these that aren't really you know, worth the effort potentially. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, Roku's I don't know thirty percent. It's, it's that's, pretty high. That's pretty huge. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's definitely uh, a big. A big chunk. So, what's your um, experience with Elixir Ben so far? Like, what do you think? Um, I I really like Elixir. I think uh, I was thinking about this as kind of a weird analogy, but um, mm-hmm. did you watch the Top Gun, the new Top Gun movie? Oh yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it. So they they you know they were kept. Um, talking about how they were going up against fifth generation fighters, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the newer um, technology that they couldn't keep up with, with the planes that they were in and how yeah. they just, um, you know, you know, had so much better tech that they were going to be destroyed. Um, I feel <laughs> like Elixir is falls into the, and I don't know if anyone has defined this. I'm sure someone smarter than me has, and I just don't know the terminology, but like, mm. it feels like a next generation language Mm. um you know when you look at i believe java python and ruby were all created in 1990 something like that um and you know obviously javascript would have come a little bit later than that but um the there's languages that are coming up. I'm not sure who all, all would be in this. I think Clojure is in the same kind of boat as Elixir. Um, I don't know how popular it is anymore. Um, I think Rust is probably in that vein. I'm not sure where you, how you would define Go. But the, the point is yeah. that there there's these next generation languages that um, provide uh support or maybe best practices around things that kind of didn't well didn't exist in mass you know when Mm -hmm. some of these other languages were created things like um you know the the um horizontal scale scaling across multiple devices slash multiple um you know processors and um you know things like the you know immutability that both um closure and, and elixir have and i wouldn't be surprised if things like haskell would fall into the same boat um but mm-hmm. you know, immutability is 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 directly trying to solve for you know most common problems you know i, I think brooklyn mentioned it as well that um <clears throat> state confusion around state and state changing mm-hmm. is like 90% of the problems that we face, right? So yeah, if you yeah. can make it much more clear when state is changing, when values are mutating, then um, you know, hopefully you avoid a very large class of problems. So mm-hmm. I really liked it, the, it so far. I liked kind of the, the concepts. I'm personally, uh, um, I think in the functional style, 
I know that some of my team members before have sort of flamed me for some of the crazy uh, anonymous <laughs> function stuff that I write. And they're like, you're not allowed to code anymore. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. My spreadsheets. But, um, you know, so it, it aligns with how I like to think about code anyway. So um, I yeah. think that's really cool. Um, I like how they also are doing... Um, well, I, I was into Erlang for a minute too, and, mm -hmm. and I, yep. I definitely get the value of the, the Beam, you know, uh, VM and what it's built on top of. So, yeah. um, and that's a, another example of how they schedule worked um, to be so uh, resilient to failure. Um, it, it's just, mm -hmm. to me, very kind of next generation. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I definitely agree with you. And it's crazy that uh, Erlang came out in 1986. So it's like, it's super old in, in language age. <laughs> but the the and fact Erlang that... Erlang syntax is so crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. I've I've looked at it. But even, even uh, Joe Armstrong said that he really loved uh, Elixir, uh, which I found mm. was, was pretty cool. So he liked where it was going and, and it fact that it basically builds on what they did and i think that erlang fixes or solves a problem that probably exists more now than it did when it came out i mean obviously yeah, i agree they, I, I, I think the telecom systems that it was created for did have a horizontal scaling situation mm -hmm. but they were probably a bit um ahead of their time there and, and yeah. um you know now others are sort of catching up with what what they were dealing with back then yeah and it looks like more and more companies are starting to adopt uh elixir and and uh the beam and uh i'm definitely looking forward to kind of seeing where where this goes i you know i'd love to work with the language and and work with uh you know, any with Elixir projects. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty, pretty stoked about this whole thing. I've, um, you know, to the point where, like I said, I've, I pretty much kind of went all in and, you know, decided to, to learn it. And, um, you know, Brooke's been really great, you know, giving me coaching and, and, uh, you know, helping me outside of class time you know, when I need it and things like that. And some of the other people in there too, uh, have been super, super helpful given time. And, uh, I don't Quentin or Q, uh, he's mm -hmm. got a yeah, funny, talk to him. yeah, yeah. Um, he's pretty cool. I guess he works with Elixir, um, in his day job and he's been doing a whole lot of coaching and, and just, you know, giving mentor mentoring sessions and, and coding, <laughs> teaching coding, uh, which is it was pretty fun. Um, but yeah, uh, my experience with this has just been, um, just been phenomenal. Uh, yeah, the um, both of those guys are just they just come across as so kind, and yeah. you know one of the things that I I want to. I don't know how to monetize this or I don't know how to turn this into an actual job, but like, I, I, I really like the idea of helping people. I love what they're doing and if they can do it, um, you know, and 
still you know put food on the table that's awesome and like i just really like the idea of um surrounding yourself with people like that like how great is your life going to be if you're surrounded by people who are doing cool stuff and nice about it and you know you got a question they can help you they're not making Mm -hmm. judging you and all that stuff i mean that's just that's the kind of people i want to hang out with yeah like you don't find too many opportunities like this um i mean i'm sure you know there's there are in other areas but there's a lot of uh a lot of people on twitter you know they always shout oh you know find a mentor learn you know 60 different uh (laughs) frameworks and languages and you'll be a programmer but you know they may they charge they want to charge for mentorship and or you know any kind of thing like that and and i get you know some people do turn it into a into a business uh there's a guy i watched on youtube for a while uh i think his his name was andrew something i think his name was andrew um he was a he's a programmer i think he started or he works in c sharp and i watched a lot of his stuff for a while and then uh he started he decided to do a mentorship program but he's charging people like two or three thousand dollars uh to mentor them and i'm Hmm. like if i'm paying two or three grand i better get a job out of this (laughs) like yeah and i don't think they can promise that i mean that's that's pretty tough and um that's one thing that i i I know one thing i think i did poorly in my career is um i didn't you know i was very insular i i have a really good network of people that i know that worked in the same company and people that have moved around, but I didn't do enough, um, uh, you know, blogging or, you know, share, you know, interacting with people or networking and those kind of things. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really wish, wish I had because, um, um, you know, I, I think it's just such a, a rich, like just getting to know you, for instance, and I kind of, I don't know how you found me, but you know, through Twitter, but Twitter, um, yeah. it's, yeah, it's just really, uh, you get to meet some really amazing people and um, I wish I had spent more time there, but I guess I'm spending time now. Um, It's, it's pretty (laughs) crazy that I like, I have this thing out there. It's still going like, um, you know, Hey, hit me up for mentoring. Um, And I still, I talk to maybe two people a week. It's not a, not a ton. And maybe if it got to the point where it was a hundred people a week, I'd have to figure out some mechanism to, uh, right. limit and and hopefully that doesn't mean charging people because really mm-hmm. who i want to help are people who you know need help and they're not the ones right. that can pay right so yeah, yeah, um, yeah exactly it's kind of like the I mean, tech that's... conference thing you were talking about last episode is like <laughs> oh, it's, <yeah. laughs> it's geared toward people that have you know thousands of dollars to spend or their company's gonna right. pay and that's that's yeah. specifically not the type of person that we need more representation in our um mm-hmm. in in our industry we need people that you know are coming from different walks of life that are, are um you know looking to make a switch because when you talk about dog fooding and those kind of things like i you need a veteran to build an app that helps veterans you don't need me to do it because right. i'm not a veteran right so yeah. like you yeah, need you people know. like that Right. You wouldn't know the the specifics of what, you know, a veteran would require or or need or anything like that. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I, I really want to keep pushing that. Um, I, I hope that, um, I hope that I, you know, I, I can get more people in there because I, I think it's, um, it's, it's just really satisfying to when, um, have a good conversation and people get something out of it. Yeah. And honestly, uh, that's a, that's a huge value. You don't see a whole lot of people doing mentorship and, you know, maybe they, and I don't know, you know, maybe they're judging you by your Twitter following because you, it's not very large at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that could be, and you know, I, I kind of, I kind of looked at, look at your profile if, uh, you know, kind of a double take. I'm like, cause I think we were interacting on something and I'm like, that says VP of, you know, <laughs> and, and water media of, of something devices. And I was like, really? Okay. <laughs> Like, but he doesn't have any followers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of people like me too. There's a lot of people yeah. who haven't um, invested the time to try to create a public profile because they're right. focused on an internal profile. Sure. Yeah. You you know you're doing your thing, and which you know I totally get. Um, the only reason I'm building one is you know hopefully it helps me land a job at some point. No, um, I actually got on Twitter for the hundred days of code. So when I started learning to program, I'm like, all right. And you can ask my wife. I used to hate Twitter. I was like, I'm never using some app where posting is called tweeting. You know, it's just (laughs) fucking stupid, you know? (laughs) And, uh, I don't know. Eventually I just caved. I'm like, well, most of the developers are on here, so I'll go network. You know, this will be a good way for me to network and maybe get my name out there a little bit. And, um, you know, help me post or program, you know, stay programming regularly. And, and it did, you know, I think I did, I don't know. I did a couple rounds, a hundred days of code, and then I've stopped and started maybe 50 other times. <laughs> uh, I just forget to post all the time. I'm always forgetting. Yeah. I'm like a uh, hundred days of code day 20 through 30. Whoops. <laughs> Sounds like we should um, re reinvigorate each other on 100 Days of Code. That sounds like a, a good uh, mutual motivation. Unless you're already in one. Yeah. No, I'm not. That'd be fun. Yeah, I haven't uh, I haven't started another round, but uh, I probably should. I need to I need to be posting more about this Elixir stuff for sure. Uh, I am getting a little mm-hmm. bit of traction here and there on on LinkedIn, which is nice. I even had a recruiter. Uh, I mean, I don't know. He reached out, gave me his, his job postings that he had. And, um, you know, we just kind of chit chat a little bit, but, um, that was actually, I think the first time a recruiters actually done that on LinkedIn. Awesome. <laughs> I have, I haven't had very much luck on LinkedIn, um, for jobs. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, I, I think it's a good way to co- sort of keep connected with people that you mm-hmm. sort sort of know in some way, but like, if you're looking for a job, I don't know that. It's the right way to to go about it. Yeah. um, You know, I I will say with the networking thing, um, while I never built a um, a online presence, um, Mm -hmm. some of the more positive inflection points in my career have come from networking more in a traditional sense of um, like going to meetups. Um, Mm. You know, I, I was very into... Uh, well, I wasn't into it, but my job was basically Java. Um, 
yeah okay um pretty early on and then i went to i just um decided i wanted to learn like something new and i went to a python meetup and i was like this is the coolest thing ever and that i think at that point i was like i don't want to do java anymore because like <laughs> um you know it's very verbose and um, i think it's improved a lot since then this is probably like drive java 5 or something okay, um yeah but um you know, so that going to those meetups—that's where you know I learned about Python. I think one of my buddies was like, "You gotta check out Rails." Um, someone was showing yeah. me Git. Like, I think like the year it was invented. Like very, very soon, you know, after it, it came out, I was like, "This is the coolest thing ever." So, you know, a lot of the the times that I was um, on the forefront of some of the you know industry um movements around like everyone being interested in rails and being moving to get overnight All, mm -hmm. a lot of that was from networking and hanging out with people smarter than me oh nice yeah i i um i attended a couple meetups out here in arkansas but for me to go to a meetup i pretty much have to drive two and a half three hours uh mm. north or south and that's just not not feasible where i live is a pretty small town i think there's like i don't know the sign still says like thirteen thousand people <clears throat> but i'm guessing there's probably maybe closer to 20 but mm, gotcha um there's just it's really a medical field and manufacturing that's a, the two things that kind of support this whole town i work at well, the, the what's that uh, uh, sorry, finish. Oh yeah. I was just saying, um, I work in the, in the manufacturing side, but medical equipment. I see. Uh, I was gonna say one of the really cool things that, um, you know, side effect, I guess, of the pandemic was I, I was in a similar boat, not, I was living in Atlanta at the time and, mm. um, it wasn't that there weren't meetups, but my field was video and there were no oh. video related meetups. Mm -hmm. And the ones that if you looked, there was like one and, um, you know, of course, San Francisco had one and um, maybe one in Seattle and I think a couple of international ones. Um, all of those went to virtual. And, you know, a lot of them are still virtual because they realize, hey, you know, why am I limiting? Uh, myself and some of them are billed as just virtual now so oh know, yeah um i've i've gone to one a couple times called chicago codes and mm -hmm. it's funny because I'm, I'm some of the people on the call were in a in a room at like a maker space and i'm like hey you know where are you and they're describing where i'm like that doesn't i don't understand what you're saying and then i'm like just to be clear, you're in Chicago. They're like, no, we're in Hartford, Connecticut. I'm like, what? <laughs> so, you know, there's people all over the place, like joining, um, and talking code and, um, yeah. you know, that's where I started, um, rereading the, the pragmatic programmer book and realizing a lot of the things that I've been, um, that have been influential to me and I've been telling people about came from that book. I didn't even really remember it because I read it so long ago. Uh, that just made me think like maybe, maybe online um, meetups are kind of a good way to go for, for programmers. Like I've never 
I never attended one, but I mean, I can't imagine they're a whole lot different than our our class <laughs> our classes. Yeah, with it's very with similar. Yeah. Like you know, you get on and you talk code, and you know, you chit chat, and you know, you just kind of rub elbows with with people virtually. Um, maybe yeah. maybe that's something I need to look into. Is, is you know maybe. I don't know if there's anything out there for Elixir, but maybe if, if there isn't, I'll just start one. Well, that would be cool. I would be there if you create one. I, uh, you know, the, the main difference, I think, for a meetup and, and like the boot camps is the boot camps are you're going to see all the same people over and over and it'll be a, like mm-hmm. a, a deeper thing, but it'll yeah, be yeah. with a smaller group of people. Whereas meetups, you're, you know, different people in and out. You mm-hmm. might meet them once. You might meet them a few times. Um, yeah, yeah. But, um, but you know, it's just another great way to to network and meet people. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's something I'll I'll run past Brooke. He's got another Discord uh, for Elixir newbie. Um, mm, cool. Maybe, maybe just scheduling some kind of a like I know they do they do some, they do something called hack a thing. I don't know if you heard of that. No, nah, that's cool. Basically, where they I guess they they try to work on open source projects. Um, I think that's what it is. And so a bunch of them get together like once a week. It's on, it's usually on the weekend now and I can't do weekends. It's hard enough for me to make it to class on Sunday because I work, uh, I work Friday night, Saturday night and Sunday night. And I do two twelves, um, Friday night and Saturday night. And then an eight on Sunday night. That's so it's kind of a, yeah, it is. I mean, the the only good thing is, you know, I wind up with most of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and most of Friday off. Uh, so that's the that's the good thing. I get to cram in all of my hours on the weekend and just be done. And then I've got all this free time during the week. But yeah, the downside is it usually takes me a good day to recover. And I'm now that I'm trying to... Like, usually I have two to three hours max between the time I get home on Saturday at, at 1130 to the time I have to be in bed, you know, for my next shift. Uh-huh. And on Sunday, I take that three hours and I go to class, <laughs> oh, wow. which, you know, I, I, I feel like it's going to be worth it in the end. So that's why I'm doing it. Um, I don't, you know, it's boot camps. They always, at least from the sounds of them, they always seem like they're very time intensive. I've looked into them in the past and they were either never in a time I could attend or, you know, the cost was, was pretty high. Uh And I don't know that I would trust the ones that are, that use those ISAs. Are you familiar with that? The ISAs? No. What is that? Um, I'm trying to think of that big boot camp that used them. Uh, it had gotten in some hot water. It's basically where you go to you go to it for free, and they try to help you get a job. And the first, I don't know, you pay a percentage of your of your monthly income back to them as you know payment for mm-hmm. the boot camp. I see. I, you know, and I think maybe the idea is good. But they were selling those ices to debt collectors. Hmm. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, it's, it was pretty messed up. So I've just kind of, I don't know, the standard boot camps I've kind of avoided. Um, 
mainly for those two reasons. But um, I don't even know how how the uh, Elixir Academy, the, the Dockyard Academy, is going to work everything on the, on that end. I don't know what their what their plans are. I just know that uh, you know an opportunity popped up, and I <laughs> I decided to dive headlong. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's um, I'm really happy that I, you know, you reached out to me and um, you introduced me to that group. I mean, I, th I think it's going to be a very valuable experience. I don't know if this is one of those things that becomes anything professional for me or, mm -hmm. you know, it's just a different way to think that yeah. it helps your mind like kind of expand. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. Uh, if it if maybe that's all it, it is um but uh, you know again just surrounding yourself with good people smart people i think is a pretty smart way to go yeah i agree um and one thing i think they're doing that's really good is they're open sourcing their all their curriculum so mm -hmm. even after it's running anybody's going to be able to download it and go through it um so then it's just the you know the class part if you wanted to I guess pay for that. They'll have some sort of way to do that, but, um, but I mean, anybody can go through the content and, you know, you've seen the content. It's, it's obviously still in flux, but it's, it's getting much, much better. Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, since I joined only after, um, you know, listening to your, um, your episode, I was a week or two behind and I was able to, you know, follow the curriculum and and catch up so I, I think other people could do the same we decided we still had a little more to say so welcome to part two all right go ahead <laughs> yeah i was saying that uh you know one thing that i i really believe is that if you um if, if you want to get better at something you have to uh, really challenge yourself. Mm -hmm. right? Like I'd spent a while, like I used to coach my son's baseball team. And, and so one of the things I was trying to learn is uh, how do you do skill development, mm -hmm. you know, the best way. And, um, one of the things that they pointed out, uh, I read this book called the little book of talent. Oh, and, yeah. um, it <clears throat> talked about like, let's say you're, you're, playing catch with a, a kid and they're trying to learn, you know, how to catch better. And like, if they're catching a hundred percent of the time, mm -hmm. then they're not getting anything out of it. Mm. If they're catching like 0% of the time, they're not getting anything out of it. Like th there's a sweet spot and it's usually like 70, 80% success rate. You mm. can't be always successful. Cause that, that sort of defines that you are not challenging yourself enough. Oh, wow. Um, for growth you know yeah, so yeah. um one so you know when you asked me to do this i'm like you know that kind of makes me nervous i've never done that before but it's like you know what that tells me that there's growth there oh interesting and i mean the reason i'm saying it's interesting is a because it is and b that's not something that most people think about you know like even me you know i've struggled really bad with uh imposter syndrome and you know going through this and realizing that you know hey i you know i don't know everything and um 
uh, you know, I'm learning a ton, but I've struggled with what I don't know. And mm-hmm. I didn't really give any thought to maybe, you know, it's because it's, I'm actually learning. And, um, you know, if I, if I'm nailing everything out the door, what am I getting out of it? Because, you know, it's something I already know. So the fact that I'm struggling and, and failing some is, is okay. You know, it's okay to fail. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't make, make sure it's not too much because then that's where frustration comes in. Sure. And that's where, you know, um, you know, like if you went up to try to, I guess in the baseball analogy, you know, um, bat against like a major league pitcher, mm-hmm. like you're not going to learn anything from it. Right. Right. It's going to, you know, what it blow you away. But, um, you know, an example, we talked about my son playing with scratch when he was a kid, like he built a game. And then like later he's like built another game and it was essentially a clone of the first game. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, cool. And then he did it again. I'm like, you're not actually, you know, it's cool. You're making different games and having fun, mm-hmm. but you're not actually like learning new skills because you're just kind of rinsing and repeating the thing that you already learned. Right. Right. Which while there is some value in repetition, um, there's definitely, you know, you, you kind of want to stretch your, stretch your wings and, I think um, Brooklyn called it something to do with uh, being on the edge of of learning, you know, of what you know already. I think it's sort mm. of how he put it, and yeah. you know, just just um, like the exercises, they're just they're slightly on the edge of either being like almost too much, but. You know what I mean? Like right there. Yeah, I guess they they say that you want it to be slightly out of reach. Yeah. And then, you know, and then you can stretch. Right, right. Right. Exactly. And then you got to stretch for it. Yeah. I've had um, interviews before where I'm interviewing someone. Like literally this is, this happened to me a long time ago, but interviewing somebody and they had 10 years of experience doing Java. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, you know, they seem pretty stout. Right. So then um, I'm like, I'm asking them questions and it was pretty clear that they didn't have 10 years of experience doing Java. Mm. So I'm like, okay, well, tell me what you did, you know, year one, or, you know, I'm looking at the job description, right. Or the resume. I'm like, well, tell me what you did in this job. Like, well, you know, I was given requirements and I wrote the unit tests and documentation or whatever they did. Um, I'm like, okay, well, what did you do in the next year? Like, oh, well, you know, I was given requirements and I did unit tests and documents. Like, literally, they did the same thing for 10 years. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, you don't have 10 years of experience. I didn't say this to them. Sure, but like yeah. afterwards, my, my, my takeaway was that person doesn't have 10 years of experience. They have one year of experience 10 times. 10 times, yeah. Oh. Which is, you know, a totally different game, right? They, yeah, they yeah. should have stretch learn new things and you know by the end of 10 years of experience you should mm-hmm. you know be able to recreate that system from scratch and right you know, right uh, um hmm. yeah so it's that's um I'm, I'm glad that you allowed me to stretch <laughs> well you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> uh i've done quite a bit of stretching on this uh this thing myself man uh today was fun Today was really fun. Um, I I got like the first exercise right. I you know I I, um, I mean obviously we're doing like a pair th- pair programming thing, but you know I had a lot of input, and I was like, yep, I got this. 
And then the second one, I was like, I can't figure out what the hell we're doing. But mm. <laughs> but then Brooklyn came in and literally walked us through how to break the whole program or the whole problem down into tiny, tiny pieces. And then just solving each one of those pieces. And then how to put it all together at the end. Like, I've never seen that done, you know, the, in the four or five years I've been trying to learn how to program. I've never seen that done. Well, what you're describing, is, that's how I define functional programming. Yeah. Is it's, it's not really about the language. And I actually had this conversation with Q mm -hmm. yesterday was you can do functional programming with a procedural language. I could do it with Python. Mm. Um, you can do, I think, uh, you know, generally you could do procedural like coding with a functional language. It's really like, how do you think about the problem? And one of the, I think the core tenets of being functional is breaking problems down to very small functions. Mm -hmm. And then how do you combine those with, you know, all of these different, um, you know, higher order functions that, you know, take a function as a parameter, right? Right, right. Oh, so you're, what you're describing is not su surprising. It sounds like he was walking you through. Here's, here's really the essence of functional programming mm -hmm. is breaking things down and then reconstituting them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was pretty cool to see that because, that, like I said, that's not something that I've run into outside of, outside of this. You know, I've, I've got 30-plus Udemy courses, and I've done huge chunks of most of them. and you know, mm. nobody, nobody walks you through problems like that. And everybody says, break it down, but nobody shows you how to break it down. I don't care yeah, what, cool. I don't care what language you're in. Nobody really shows you how to break down a problem to its fine pieces so that you can take each little tiny piece and put it together. And then until you can eventually build up the, you know, build out the actual feature or or problem and the same is true at the project level you know mm -hmm. i don't know if you, if you read the um lean startup and i have actually read that book so then yeah <laughs> i mean and most people are familiar with the concept that i don't think they coined but um uh, you know the mvp concept mm -hmm. and um you know the essence of that is the same like yeah. break what you're trying to accomplish at a project level down to the simplest piece that you can, you know, it's autonomous that so you can build and then, you know, layer on from there and, and adjust from there. Yeah. All right, my man, I will, uh, I'll catch up with you after a little while. All right. Thanks again. Have a great night. Yeah, man. You too. Have a safe trip. Thanks. Bye. See ya. This has been episode 8 of the Citizen Coder Podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with Byron, you can hit him up on Twitter, LinkedIn, or his blog. Links are in the show notes. If you like what I'm doing and you want to sponsor the show, you can reach out to me at info at citizencodercast.com or message me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Links for books and everything we mentioned are in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and as always, I'll see you next time.